So we were expecting to do the 15 and 60 Eastern Conference mailbag. Thanks. We got a ton of questions for that. Fear not. We will still be doing that on Tuesday night. At least that's the plan as of now. But unexpected events intervened. Unexpected for us and also unexpected for one Tom Thibodeau. It certainly appears that way because most coaches wouldn't expect to be fired the same day that they beat a team by 22 points. And I think on Friday they beat the Magic handily. 17 is the number that's in my head there. And that sometimes happens when you have an owner like Glenn Taylor. And yeah, the, so so I'm, I'm kind of conflicted on this because I do not think Tom Thibodeau should be the coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves long term, especially as Kevin Pelton wrote about in his piece because of Carl Anthony Towns long term development. But the way this happened just feels so roughshod. Yeah, it does. I thought that they had exceeded expectations since the Butler trade. Now, clearly, uh, that was a, a major issue. I'll give you what Taylor said his reasoning was. I said, let's let it go and see how things worked. And I think now we've gone up through halfway through the season. And I don't think we're where we thought we would be or where we think we should be. I'm just looking at the results. The results are that I don't think we should have lost against Phoenix or Detroit or New Orleans or Atlanta. Maybe one of those games we just lost against a bunch of teams that we're a better team. So that's pretty delusional, I would say, at this point in time. Um, it, with the, the current talent on the roster, I think to go 500 is pretty decent with this squad. Now, certainly... There are a lot of things you could point to with Tibbs that he has done wrong. But much like with the Ty Lue firing, much like with the Hoiberg firing, while, yeah, you know, I guess it makes sense. And these guys, there wasn't that much evidence. Lou maybe is a little different category there. But there wasn't that much evidence that these guys are doing a great job. The process behind it just doesn't really seem to make much sense. And I think adding to that is some of the reporting that season ticket renewals were coming up and they were 29th in attendance and uh, that Tibbs was unpopular with the local fan base. And then he also had had, which I mean, I would be shocked if this had anything to do with low attendance that, you know, he wasn't that popular on the business side. Uh, And, but that's not really a reason to me to fire a coach in season. And, you know, so again, I mean, this is more of Glenn Taylor kind of being dysfunctional. Now, if you want to say, hey, we want to try out Ryan Saunders, who's not taking over at age 32, flips on his son and give him a chance and see if he can improve things. Like, okay, I understand that. You know that Tibbs isn't going to be the guy. Maybe there's also even a danger that Tibbs could do well enough that you would feel like there'd be some desire to keep him. Um, But it sure does seem odd that this decision would have been made now instead of like two games ago. Like that doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, One thing that was pointed out, pointed out by a commenter on Twitter was that all four of the Wolves in-season coaching changes, the last four that they've made, have happened basically at either the 20-game mark or the 40-game mark. So maybe that's just like, all right, this is the decision is this is when we're going to evaluate. Um, but that's the only reason I could think of for this particular timing, uh, outside of perhaps who else they may want to hire. Well, yeah. So I floated this idea on on Twitter before it was more substantively reported by Woj, though there has been some conflicting reporting around this, that Fred Hoiberg, this just by being an alumni, alumnus, I guess, is I've heard that Hoiberg is in consideration for the UCLA job. And if Minnesota really wants him, and interestingly, they might want him for the front office job or the head coaching job. Not both. Oh, yeah. Definitely not both. But they, I guess they wanted to have their name in the mix there. And But then it was kind of weird with the way that that followed up with it, the, the official press release said that Saunders is the interim coach for the remainder of the season. That is not a binding commitment, but they're going through that. And, you know, there's kind of some, some weird nebulous wording in some of the other reporting. But, I mean, the Hoiberg thing stood out to me because he is, it sounds like, in consideration 
preparation for the UCLA job, and he wants to go to the NBA. Woj has talked about that today, and so this this is a consideration. He is very popular with or Glenn Taylor. Really likes him personally, and so that is is an option worth considering. And something I think that you latched onto, and, and this is a very interesting point, was who did the firing in person in this case? I think is actually really telling. Well, real quickly uh, on Hoiberg potentially coming in, John Krasinski reporting that any move with Hoiberg is not imminent uh, as of this time. Um, is If that's enough to dissuade Hoiberg from taking the UCLA job, also be interesting to see what his Bulls contract says about offsets NBA versus college, that it might just make more sense for him to start this upcoming offseason and it just sort of fade accompli that this is going to happen. Pretty amazing how Hoiberg just like that he would just succeed Thibodeau twice. Um, but yeah, back to what you were talking about. It was reported that Scott Layden, who in theory was Tibbs' handpicked GM who reported to him and CEO, which is more of a business side position, Ethan Casson, with whom Tibbs apparently uh, had not been popular, according to Woj, were the ones who came in and fired Thibodeau in his office immediately after this nice win uh, that they had against the Lakers. So I, I'm not sure what to make of that. I mean, it could just be that Glenn Taylor was out of town. He wasn't at the game today, uh, which he often is in his usual seat. So uh, it could be that he made the decision. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that like he clearly he was involved and this was his decision, but just uh, so I mean, do you take anything from it other than that? Uh, where were you going with that exactly? Well, the idea of who has deal making authority in that front office. And typically, if, oh, okay, you, yeah. if you are involved in the firing of your superior, that probably means that your superior was not your superior. Like that's generally the way that it works, or there's some sort of, you know, coup or something. And Layden staying on is another indicator that he probably had more autonomy or at least more power in that dynamic. Because sometimes when a personnel decision maker gets fired, a lot of the other people in their orbit go as well. And at least as of right now, it seems like Layden is staying on for the time being. Now, we don't know how long that's going to last, but it does seem like that. So that's another, to me, indicator that Layden has a power base that is independent from Thibodeau. And that's interesting when you have, I mean, that's very different in my head from what, let's say, Jeff Bauer had with the Pistons, even though Bauer ended up outlasting Stan Van Gundy by a little bit, though it seems like that was more nominal than anything else. Yeah, and this could be nominal as well. I mean, Taylor, it seemed like there this might be the direction they were heading in terms of Layden having the power, just because Taylor, around the time of the Butler saga, made some comments where he didn't really commit to an organizational structure uh, during the myriad interviews that he loves giving. Um, and Tibbs had to coach the team and get them ready for the season, and Layden had to be the one to go out and get these offers and i thought laden did reasonably well in the butler trade um i mean just looking back overall uh, on the thibodeau era in minnesota what sticks out to you i mean the most important moves involved jimmy butler i mean acquiring him was the best thing that Thibodeau in this front office did. I mean, it does look like the package that they sent is better now than I thought it was at the time. You know, Zach Levine has had an improved season. He's still, you know, I'm not going to gush over him or Chris Dunn, though Dunn had a nice game against Indiana that I watched. Other than that, I mean, you see whether whether you want to attribute it to the owner or the personnel decision makers, everything else. I mean, they're just some really devastating decisions. Wiggins' max contract, which is, again, max contracts to me are an owner thing, but still, the if, if Thibs 
thought that he wasn't worth it, then you say, hey, man, like, let, let's let's pump the brakes on this. Jang's extension was a horrendous misread of the market. Taking Justin yeah, that, Patton. That's the one. That's yeah. the one that had Tibbs uh, written all over it. Yeah. And then the Patton. Yeah. I mean, because remember, really like, they in the Butler trade, they did move down from the pick that became Larry Markkinen, but they still had a lottery pick and took Justin Patton, who there was no need well, for him on the run. 16th. 16, sorry. 16th. Yeah. Yeah. And and so they could have taken, there were numerous other productive players and Patton never had a place on the team. I mean, they obviously had Towns and Gorgie Jang well-established ahead of him. And, you know, Taj was already, or no, he was going to be on the team. I think he hadn't signed yet. But yeah, I mean, it, you have all these kind of things fitting together that are, you know, being outmoded. And I think you see a lot of that in his coaching too. I mean, this team didn't have great personnel for taking threes for the most part. They actually got a little bit better with that, with the Butler trade. And their offense felt our archaic to me so thibs deserved to be fired but in in true like ownership is the greatest competitive advantage in the nba style i still feel bad about how it happened and that doesn't usually occur with me yeah i I mean i think that's why i kind of liken it to the hoiberg thing ironically enough and the Lou thing as well and i think like tibbs have really done by far his best job since the, the butler trade they had this really nice run against a little weaker schedule at home kp wrote about this where they're really good in defense then they've kind of dropped down but they've still been 17th which is not terrible um carl towns has shown some growth defensively but the other thing that really sticks out to me about his tenure is just the lack of development and in fact regression of wiggins even in fact with the departure of Butler, you felt like, oh, well, you know, he hasn't had the ball in his hands as much. He's had to be a spot up shooter. Well, you know, his usage hasn't really increased and he just isn't as good of a creator as Jeff Teague and Derek Rose. And so 43% two point shooting, I think is what he's at this year. So they just, you know, and he just may not be any good. I think it's becoming increasingly clear here uh, as uh, it was apparent to some of us a, a while ago, but obviously that max contract is looking like a huge mistake. And then the whole Timber Bulls thing, which gets more into the GM stuff, but also the coach where you know it wasn't as harmonious of a locker room as would have been hoped bringing in a, a, all these vets. Uh, and then the, the inability to get the team to defend. I mean, the, the thought with Thibs was, or Tibbs, I should say, is that he was going to make up a top five defense on his own, or at least a top 10 unit. And uh, that just uh, didn't happen. And so if he's not going to provide that, then his surliness uh, in the community and it, in the building and his relatively archaic offense. And then you also have to give him personnel power as well. You know, as you always say, the juice was not worth the squeeze if he wasn't going to be a, this fantastic defensive coach. And he never really amounted to that other than maybe that one 10 game stretch right after the trade. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough, a tough situation. And now Ryan Saunders, who is younger than three of the players on his team, which is, you know, it, it can't happen. It's not to, you know, if, he, if his voice resonates, his voice resonates, not a problem at all. But he will have the opportunity, at least for a little while now. We'll see how long that runs. And of course, he has deep connections with the franchise as well. Something that I thought was was also, I don't know if it's com- if it's related, but I thought was interesting just with the timing. James Nunnally was one of the, he was the last basically guy on their roster signed on, an, on a non-guaranteed contract. The non-guaranteed deadline is is imminent. And so he was cut right around the time that, that the Thibodeau firing was announced. So now they also opened up a roster spot. We'll see what Layden does with that. I mean, and 
Minnesota defining success. I mean, this is always a challenging thing for a team and, and what they do with this roster spot. Now they're changing at least some part of their personnel structure less than a month before, right around a month before the trade deadline. So how does that affect whatever they see coming here? And granted, Minnesota's pretty, pretty kind of stuck in, in, in where they are just because the biggest pieces that they had were involved in the Butler trade. And now I don't think they want to move those. And the other guys, you know, it's going to be hard to move Jang and everything else. But if this isn't good enough for Glenn Taylor, it's going to be a, a pretty heavy lift to get from this point to, let's say, even the playoffs, given how stacked the West is right now. Yeah. And we'll see. I, I'm not sure whether Saunders will be an upgrade or not. I It wouldn't actually shock me if they started playing a little bit worse overall. Maybe he can open up the offense, take more advantage of Carl Anthony Towns. But that's really, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns being a top five offensive player in the NBA is their path to even making the playoffs at this point, right? So we talked about this on the 15 and 60. We were asked, it, like, what is the Wolves ceiling in their path? And they don't really have one because Andrew Wiggins isn't any good and they don't have any kind of flexibility really going forward. I mean, they got Carl Towns and, you know, maybe Josh Okoji could be a, a decent starter someday, although he's a ways away from that offensively. And that's about it. You know, They really just don't have anything else that's going to be here much past uh, this season. So I think it's also very interesting that this firing occurred. I mean, if it really is, well, you know, we just need to play better this year. If that's really the thought, how is that going to affect things at the deadline, right? I, I think they actually could maybe try, if they're realistic about where they're at, you know, trying to keep all these guys for a 15% chance at getting the eighth seed. That's probably not that smart. We'll see how they look over the next month or so before the deadline. But they do have some guys that they could move. Derek Rose has been playing well. He's missed five straight with an ankle injury. Uh, Teague is someone they might look to move, especially since he's under contract for next year. I, I think he'll probably opt in, although that's not entirely certain. Maybe he just wants to get out of there. Or there might be a, a starting position available for him elsewhere. Um, Tyus Jones to be a restricted free agent. Taj Gibson in expiring contracts. So they have some guys. Anthony Tolliver, although you know he's not going to fetch anything necessarily, but he could be part of throwing in a deal. Um, so we'll see. I mean, if they wanted to try to punt on this year, they might be able to get some assets going forward. You know, I'm not sure that that's necessarily going to be the approach and Leighton, I mean, I assume he probably realizes that he's a, a lame duck, but his incentive will likely be to try to make the team as good as they can be this season. A uh, couple other notes, uh, Andy Greer, uh, Tibbs' right-hand man, uh, was also fired. Monty Williams and Chauncey Billups are also being mentioned as possible candidates. Billups for either a front office or coaching role, and the team is determined to not give the next head coach personnel power as well. So they're looking for, in theory, both a general manager and a coach. What if Glenn Taylor decides to give both Billups and Hoiberg each shared powers of both? That would be fun. And then the other, like we talked about how the, the Wolves had just gone through this stretch and won two games. Another thing that's going to be a big challenge for them is Robert Covington is out an extended period of time. We don't have a oh, specific... Yeah timeline yeah with the this is why and, i'm giving them such a low chance of making the playoffs in addition to yeah. the, the, the brutal competition of course so the good news is the team does not expect that covington's bone bruise will require surgery but the bad news is it seems like it's going to be a while and he is such an important part of their defense they you know okogi can get a few can get more minutes in this time but they don't really have an effective replacement for him and as is always the case with a, a depth you know an injury to an important player at a, at a position of of depth or 
sorry, of lack of depth is that it makes any further ineffectiveness or injuries even more catastrophic. Yeah, I think over these last few weeks now, we're starting to see some separation. Uh, Wolves, Grizzlies, Mavs moving down the playoff odds. Part of that is just based on their personnel and what the projection is there. But I don't think we'd say Wolves are given a 25% chance of making the playoffs this season. And that's probably not accounting for the fact that Covington, who's I just see probably their second most important player, frankly, uh, is going to be out for some time here. And then so the Pels, I mean, they're 18 and 22, but they've got a tough schedule coming up. They've been awful on the road. So they're uh, they got to turn around quickly. I'm not going to write them off quite as much as the Wolves, even though the Wolves have a one game better record at the moment. Well, do you want me to go through Minnesota's schedule for the rest of the month? It's not good. I, I think it's it's enough to just say that it's yeah. not good. But it's not uh, good. Yeah. So and, and they've been horrendous on the road as well. I assume it's going to be a lot of road games here. So you know, and, and then you've got. 10 teams now fighting for eight spots, which is a little bit more reasonable as we can start to see a little bit of delineation here. And I'd put the Pels at the bottom of that group. And so then you've got, you know, Spurs, Lakers, Clippers, Blazers, Jazz, Rockets, and then maybe another tier with the Warriors, Nuggets, and Thunder, just a little bit above those teams. Maybe the Rockets, once they get everyone back, if that ever happens, uh, can get into that top four. Uh, anything else uh, on the tips firing here? No, I, I think that's about it for now it's a strange end to a strange era and very likely the temporary end of coach gm i mean popovich is always a complicated thing here i think people don't understand how big a role he has in the the personnel decision making for the spurs but pop can be the exception that proves the rule that's not a problem and i think that's a good thing for the league because it is too much bandwidth for an individual even if all they're doing is basically being the ceo and they have people below them that are integrally involved in the decision making it's just too much for anybody to handle with the requirements that both jobs entail. So I got a really nice message from a listener raving about Helix Sleep. He said that Helix has been great. He got one six months ago. His wife was having really bad back pain and they got the customized Helix mattress and her back pain completely disappeared. That actually was happening to both me and my girlfriend at the time. Now, my wife, before we got Helix Sleep as well, and we now own two of them. They are absolutely amazing if you're at all unsatisfied with your mattress get one that actually fits you those one size fits all mattress companies are are just not going to be as good as helix sleep because you fill out their two minute sleep quiz and they design your custom mattress they can even customize each side for you and your partner and they've also taken customized sleep to the next level of the helix pillow which are fully adjustable so you can achieve perfect comfort if you're sleeping on your side you might need a, a little bit more support to hold your neck in line with the rest of your spine, as opposed to if you sleep on your back, maybe you don't need as much support. And you don't just have to take my word for it. You get 100 nights to try out Helix Sleep. So in case it doesn't work for you, they will take it, your mattress back. The way to get started with them is helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace because we talk about all the time here on the program. And if you go to that URL, you can get up to $125 towards your mattress order. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace for up to $125 towards your mattress order. Helixsleep.com slash capspace. Let me know if that slash capspace URL that you came from us. Well, Danny, we have a trade to announce. 
Yeah, that we do. So it happened, I believe it was on Friday. Memphis is trading Marshawn Brooks, Wayne Selden, their unprotected 2019 second round pick and their unprotected 2020 second round pick to the Chicago Bulls for one Justin Holiday. And this is a, a, a really good example to me of a trade that it's good to look at from each team's perspective separately, because from Chicago's perspective, really what this is, is trying to maximize the asset that was Justin Holiday, a pen unrestricted free agent they would have had early bird rights on him and from their perspective getting you know two second round picks from a team that is uncertain you know that could make the playoffs this year but might not you know so it's probably going to be around that magic 45 number and then we don't really have an idea of what memphis is going to look like next year plus they got what's called a lottery ticket in wayne selden who will be a restricted free agent should they choose to give him a qualifying offer in the 2019 offseason i thought the bulls just killed Memphis with this trade. I mean, to get like Selden is a guy who has some promise. Uh, I've probably been too high at him over the years, but he's got some athleticism. He can get to the basket a little bit, some shooting potential, some defensive potential. Two second round picks for a team that still may not end up being that good this year and seems poised to take another step back next year, unless Jaron Jackson just completely blows up. And I like I just don't think Justin Holiday is that good. Like I know he's been starting for the Bulls, but I think he just has this patina of having been a starter for a team for a while. I mean, he's starting at the three, he's way too skinny to do that. He's still I mean, he's gotten better, certainly, but he still can't really dribble. Uh and I think he's solid at best on the wing and solid at best as a three-point shooter. Hey, he's a reserve shooting guard here, basically. And I think maybe there are just so many buyers at this point in time because so many teams are looking to stay in it, especially in the West, that they really felt like they had to overpay for Holiday and they just needed someone now and there just weren't enough sellers. But I really am just uh, like not that impressed uh, with Justin Holiday. I mean, I, he played 21 minutes he, he, on in his first game with Memphis as they got housed by the Spurs over the weekend. But he's not a guy that like you're going to fear as a shooter. He, the best thing you could say about him is that he doesn't have any huge weaknesses uh, and that he's a 3 and D guy. But I just don't think he's that good at either of those things. And his shooting has always been, you know, kind of hit or miss in his career so I, I i would have hoped that they could have done better with this package maybe there's just nobody else available there's also the wisdom of not just letting nature take its course with this team and trying to avert and giving up what could be two pretty valuable second round picks uh, and selden who i guess they just don't believe in any longer that that seems pretty clear uh that they didn't think that he could help them so yeah this is a, an amazing job by uh, the chicago bulls uh, holiday to me is the type of guy i mean I would put him maybe a little bit above someone like Marco Bellinelli last year. Bellinelli, a better offensive player, Holiday, a better defensive player. But Holiday struck me more as the kind of guy who might be a buyout candidate or at minimum a one second round pick guy. I mean, for comparison, Toronto got PJ Tucker for two of its own second round picks when they were actually pretty good. You know, and and those end up being like way towards the bottom of the uh, second round. I mean, I guess maybe you pointed this out that like for a cash strap team, they would have early bird rights on and they could resign him. Maybe that's part of this. Yeah, I do think that's part of it for Memphis. I see Holiday more as a rotation player on a good team than a starter. And he, his three point shooting, you know, his career 35% shooter has been in the 35 to 6. 36% range for the last couple of years. And he also doesn't get to the basket very much. He also doesn't get to the free throw line very much. And he's, you know, a capable defender, but not an ace defender. If he was better, then he would be a more reliable starter. 
And supply, I think, is really what dictated it here. And also what I think is a really important thing to take away from this deal and the Trevor Reza trade, which granted we could we could talk about the ramifications of that with John Wall and everything. But both of these trades were made by teams that are currently on the outside looking in and that would really like to be in. And there's something important there in terms of projecting where this is going over the next month because there aren't really that many guys in the mix that I'm seeing, you know, on the, on the trade market that are going to make the best teams a lot better. But maybe they can, you know, you add another capable guy who can play 20 minutes a game. You can sell yourself on that being the difference. And so if a team is desperate for the notoriety and the revenue and all that that comes from a playoff berth, even if it's a six, seven, eight, then those are the teams that I think might be the movers here, even if I would say that's a little bit short-sighted. And Holiday's early bird rights are are potentially important. There, it looks like they're going to be in this gray area between the cap and the tax next year. So in that area, you can actually spend pretty well. This actually puts them right up against the tax that are under it but they're pretty close against it you're talking about this this year yeah yeah right sorry yeah for this season but then moving forward they they should be able if they want to and he wants to because holiday will be unrestricted they could bring holiday back for a salary and he could just fit in with their perimeter rotation they're going to face you know kind of a similar decision with garrett temple and a few other guys and so maybe having another iron in that fire just to see who ends up choosing to resign is useful but these second round picks could end up being good i like wayne selden a player who will probably get lost in the shuffle and restricted free agency. So they probably could have brought him back for very, very cheap. And that's, a, you know, there's lost value in that as well. So yeah, I personally like this deal. I don't think I like it as much for the Bulls as you, but I like it much better for the Bulls than I do for the Grizzlies. And yeah, I think that's a fair way of summarizing it. So because Chicago got a lot out of this asset, you know, out of this expiring contract and Memphis, yeah, maybe they could have gotten something better and maybe they didn't need to give these things up for someone in the first place. Yeah, and you could say they needed another option on the wing who could shoot the ball a little bit. I mean, they, they, Kyle Anderson, There's the, the offense has not been good enough with him at small forward. They've got enough at power forward, so it's kind of tough to play Anderson there, but it, maybe he can get into the mix again. But if you're not going to play Jaron Jackson at backup center, now you have Anderson and you've got Jamichael Green and you've got Jaron Jackson that all need to play power forward. They've kind of moved around Shelvin Mack. They tried playing him at shooting guard. Some he's fallen off after a nice start to the year. And so I, I, I still think Temple is better than Holiday. Dylan Brooks uh, got hurt again. Unclear uh, exactly the severity. He got a, a toe injury uh, on Saturday against the on Spurs. Saturday. And as a point of clarification, the Dylan Brooks injury happened after the trade. So it's right. not like that was a consideration in the trade at all. Yeah. So I, I just don't think that A, the difference that Holiday is going to make for them, and B, how important that difference could be, even if he were able to make it, given where this team is, uh, it matters that much. I mean, it's been a while now, but let's remember too, I mean, they've struggled so badly. I think they're now 6-15 and 15 over their last 21. They also had this locker room altercation between Garrett Temple and Omri Caspi, who uh, were teammates going back to Sacramento, uh, where they had this long team meeting after their second to latest loss. It didn't seem to help much against the Spurs, who of course are, are on fire right now, uh, where the energy from the reserves was questioned and Caspi apparently took exception to that. And there was a, a limited physical altercation. It sounds like nobody really got messed up too badly. Also pretty remarkable that it leaked as quickly as it did. And Chris Wallace uh, was not happy about that. Chris Wallace has had to make a number of uh, damage control PR statements uh, this, uh, this season. And the latest of those is with uh, Chandler Parsons. 
Yeah. So Chandler Parsons, there has been, you know, kind of some simmering issues that have been reported over the last few weeks between Parsons and the team. He is, of of course, under contract for an absolutely massive deal, not only this season, but he has a player option for next season worth, I believe it's like $26 million. And basically, it, it kind of sounds like Memphis just wasn't really, yeah, uh, it actually it's not a player option correction it is it is a locked in dollar amount of 25.1 million yeah which you know a player option would have been locked in anyway but getting that and so uh, i think it might have been yeah i'm glad my voice so, is feeling better by the way I, I was sick for a while so it was really it was difficult to get yeah. to that uh that comedic pitch so according to wallace's statement the so he's been healthy you know like so so th- this is not in the statement but parsons you know he's been cleared to play he's been involved in practice and the grizzlies gave him the options of a short stint with their geely team the memphis hustle rehab in memphis or rehab in los angeles with the train with the the training team of his choice and i, I think Chandler parsons makes a home in los angeles so he has chosen the la route and yeah this is according to this, wallace's wallace's according statement to wallace's, by the way yes. yeah there's a little bit different from uh parson's side in mcmahon and woj's story saying that and actually wallace's statement didn't come out until after mcmahon and woj's story in which parsons was saying he was okay going to the g league but that the grizzlies were kind of wanting him to go down there indefinitely and he was didn't want to do that so that seems a little bit different than uh this g league stint now chris wallace is very good at parsing the language we recall from the brooks trade he talked about how there were no discussions with robert sarver for quote this deal meaning there could have been about some other permutations of the deal and then this statement says in the last of these conversations we presented chandler clear options for him and his representatives to choose to include a short three-game home since so it could be very well be possible that they had earlier conversations in which Parsons side of it, it was correct and he was going to be sent down with no clear timetable to return and that it was essentially a tryout for him at the G League to allow him to rejoin the team and uh there apparently he was pulling a Jimmy Butler light yelling at Chris Wallace to let him play after he hit some shots in a five on five scrimmage um so I I gotta say I'm generally not gonna side with the Grizz on, on these sorts of things I think that they uh are definitely trying to spin things things a, a little bit more at, at this point in time so uh, this year that certainly seems to be the case yeah uh, and 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 it makes some sense you know if you think about what would create the animosity and everything else a lack of communication and a help basically healthy scratches could be there and memphis doesn't really necessarily need Chandler Parsons, but you could understand why he would be frustrated by that. But the other problem with this, and this is very similar to, to Noah with the Knicks last year, is that because Parsons makes so much money, it's very hard, if not impossible, for them to make a break this season that is logical from memphis's perspective because you don't want to cut the guy because then you can't do anything with his money for next year unless he's willing to leave a ton on the table in the buyout and chandler parsons i don't think he'll be making that up in his next contract so financially it doesn't make much sense for him and his happiness is presumably worth something but i don't know how much it's worth to him in terms of millions of dollars and then dead money becomes dead money forever should that be the case and chandler parsons is making 25.1 million next year so it's not like you can just find a taker for that right away you know that's a much bigger commitment that remember they already owe a first round pick to the boston celtics so my instinct on this is that he is just in la for a little while and then maybe if it's after the deadline or something else they they sort this out but i would be shocked if he was on another team by any time before the 2019 offseason 
Yeah, and clearly he would be on just a prove it, make good type of contract to just prove that he can stay healthy. I mean, it's, he's had some moments these last couple of years where he actually has helped them. You know, the first year he was in Memphis, he was just, you know, maybe the worst player in the NBA. He's actually looked okay when healthy, uh, which of course uh, has been a rarity these last couple of years. I mean, I still don't have an adequate explanation on why they're not letting him play other than just like they want him to be healthy just so that they can trade him more easily, I guess. But uh, I'm in agreement guess with what? you. Guess what? Bad yeah. luck. They're not going to get to trade him. <laughs> you're not gonna the only way he could theoretically build any value is by playing well and that's just not a really and for that reason is to me is not an adequate explanation so i'd be very curious to know what the actual reason is that they're not letting him play do they just not want him around the team or is it just like too much of a distraction for him to come in and then they start to rely on him and work him in again and then he gets hurt or he wants the ball too much who knows what it is uh but i'm in agreement with you because they need to keep their options open this summer marcus hall is a player option he could leave and if they don't make the playoffs, you know, he, he's started to say, hey, you know, I'd like to be relevant at, at this end stage of my career. So if he leaves with the player option, maybe they finally are just clubbed over the head by the reality that they have to rebuild. And then it makes sense probably to either trade him and take on some bad money. Or if Gasol stays and you could see them maybe stretching him to get some more room and, and try to add some free agents, maybe bring back Holiday, etc. Um, let's turn to the Bulls end of this trade. They waived Cameron Payne, John Paxson saying that Ryan Archidiakono and Shaq Harrison had outplayed Payne. That is absolutely correct. And they moved on for him. And, and Payne will now sign a 10-day with the Cavs, who we can talk about a, a little bit later. Uh, the Bulls did get Bobby Portis back on Sunday. He had 17 points in 20 minutes, mostly in, in first-half action, they, uh, coming back from the sprained ankle. And Jabari Parker got a few minutes in their previous game against Indiana looked terrible. And uh, so he was returned to the pine uh, uh, in the Bulls uh, blowout loss to the Nets on Sunday. I think we should go from Chandler Parsons yelling at his general manager to the most recent guy who got famous for doing, who was known for doing that, Jimmy Butler. And the Jimmy Butler, so there's reporting that came out, I believe that was on Friday from ESPN about basically him getting into it a little bit, being very vocal with Brett Brown during, I believe it was a film session. Yeah, and disrespectful in the film <laughs> session uh, about his offensive role is how it was characterized. Yeah, and so there is uh, a, some, what felt to me like a response from Butler's camp, which was included within the piece of basically like, this is who Jimmy is. And I, I am, you know, somewhat in, in a agreement with that that Jimmy you know he's been a very vocal guy at all of his previous stops and this to me this story and included another part that we'll talk about another wrinkle of this that's very interesting is a reminder of how hard it is to build a team around superstar talents because there are there are all these other elements to consider one is like how their games mesh together how their personalities on and off the court mesh together but then even just the division of shots the division of role can be very complicated for some teams it works you know there or for some teams it works temporarily like that kind of seems like what might have happened with Kyrie in Cleveland and in certain circumstances and I think this might be what's happening in Philly it just from it just there isn't a way to to split the pie to make everybody happy yeah i think butler to some degree has a point uh he is being used very differently this season uh, than he had been Uh, many more of his plays are assisted he's been used more in handoffs situations than in pick and roll last year 31 percent of his possessions uh, were finished out of a pick and roll 24 percent this year and part of that is because they have ben simmons and there's not really anywhere for him to go when they do a a pick and roll um but they have all these other guys they run a lot for reddick 
And I mean, the offense has been good. I think they're sixth since the trade. So the overall results have been solid. Another thing we haven't seen much of from him at all is ISOs. 13% ISO last year, down to 7% of his possessions this year in Philly. Post up 8% of the time, down to 6% of the time. Again, posting up when you have Simmons and Embiid, who, you know, Butler can be a good post up player, but where are you going to have those guys go when Butler is posting up? Maybe he could do more on the second unit when he's out there with them, but he's usually, he'll play with Embiid a lot. So Embiid's going to be the guy posting up. But there are a lot of possessions where he's kind of hanging out in the corner, his usage rate is down. And Brett Brown just doesn't really believe much in running a, a ton of pick and roll. But I mean, regardless of whether it's true or not, the fact that he put it in this way, Brett Brown did spend a ton of time defending him and, and downplaying this and blah, blah. I mean, that's, of course, what he's going to say. I mean, in a situation where whether it's true or not, the person is going to say the exact same thing when asked about it. Uh, those denials don't really mean much to me. You know, I mean, he, he said it. We have to note that he said it. But whether he actually, you know, it was enough for him to take offense to it i mean brett is very inclusive and he likes to involve people in the in the process and stuff like that that's lowercase process of course uh so jimmy certainly is uh even at this what's supposed to be the honeymoon stage that he's carping is not good um anything else you want to add on his role yeah there's something that i've i've found strange about the way that brett brown has managed this which is certainly you want your best players to start and finish games obviously i'm not not arguing that at all but jimmy butler and ben simmons have played an inordinate amount of their minutes as teammates together and under the idea that these guys that their game is you know at least let's call it a little incongruous like if you're going in that direction separating them out gives each one of them a little bit more room to roam and you know that can allow jimmy butler to have some jimmy time and you can without sacrificing spacing and all these other things so for the season or for the segment of the season per queen glass brown has played those guys together meaning simmons and butler for about 1200 possessions and played them played butler without simmons for just 150 and that just doesn't make a ton of sense to me just from a practical consideration if you want these guys to feel like they're involved enough and everything else just separate them out a little little bit more and give them give them time maybe it doesn't work but i i feel like brown is for whatever reason and scott brooks was like this for too long with russell westbrook and kevin durant you can play them apart it'll work it'll be fine yeah now i know philly puts a ton of analytical work into their rotations and they're they by they bring in subs for example oftentimes as early as the seven minute mark in the first and third quarter and then try to get to some lineups that they feel it can be successful late in the first early in the second that's something that the spurs did for a long time brett came from there and the they they put a, a lot of analytics into it but i agree with you i mean it just doesn't make sense to have your two main on ball guys on the perimeter like not staring them especially considering their depth problems oh one thing so, to add in yeah. on that in that very small sample 150 possessions philly has a plus 25 net rating and a 126 offensive rating when butler plays without simmons and beat has been on the yeah. floor for basically all those minutes so you know just put a little pin in that yeah it- and if you are going to split those guys up, are you going to play Simmons and Embiid together? Or which they've generally, I think part of it is that they felt like they've had success splitting up Butler and Embiid, or I'm sorry, Simmons and Embiid. And so now if you're going to have Butler involved in a stagger, well, if you play him with Embiid, now you're having these minutes where it's just Simmons trying to run things. And, you know, he's not as talented as Butler is at that. But I think it maybe it would make more sense now to have Simmons and Embiid play together a little bit more and let Jimmy have some of his own time but 
Um, all that to me is somewhat beside the point. It was always going to be difficult to bring these guys into alignment. You also have Reddick, who they run a ton of stuff for, and that's very successful as well. And then they have kind of these depth issues as well, where either you're playing TJ McConnell, who also is killing your spacing. You have to work him in very judiciously apart from Simmons when possible. And so, but he's got to be kind of an on ball guy. Otherwise, he's just standing in the corner and killing your spacing also. So then if Butler and he play together, that's a problem. So there's a lot of fit issues here. But the bigger issue to me is just simply the fears that, you know, because of these blow ups, Butler is part of a long term fit or not great. And they gave up a fair amount. I was in favor of them doing that. You thought that they were doing that because they had at least a tacit understanding that Butler would want to return there and he wants to get a big contract. And that was mentioned in the in the piece from Woj and Ramona. But that's a, a concern if there's already like people are bringing this up. Now, I don't like to speculate about this too much, but it is interesting just to think about where it is that this story might have been coming from, right? Like who has the motivation to let this get out? It's cer- certainly not the Sixers organization, you would think. Like that's just going to piss off Butler that it's getting out. Butler, I mean, it doesn't make him look great either that now there's another place that you can't fit in. I mean, maybe you could say, well, his point in leaking it publicly is because he has complained privately and nothing has changed. Okay, maybe you could say he has the motivation. Uh, The fact that Ramona was involved makes me think that maybe this is just total speculation here that maybe, you know, Embiid might have something to do with it. She did a big profile uh, on him last year. And a lot of times when that happens, you'll see that the writer and the subject of a profile will kind of remain in touch for a time but you know so maybe Embiid who's been uh quite the loose cannon with the media himself complaining about touches and talking about shooting three-pointers and not shooting three-pointers and stuff like that you know maybe maybe it came from him and then you know Woj used sources to confirm it I don't I'm not going to go with any of those explanations as my personal guess but just thinking about like why this would get out and what the point of it is is an interesting one to me yeah and it also brings to to the fore the idea of these three guys first of all butler has to commit to it the other two don't because they're under contract but whether he wants to commit whether that trio was worth committing to and all the other permutations of it i mean sure you could you could theoretically trade either of the other two can't trade jimmy butler at least not right now and we'll, we'll see where it goes from here but yeah it's interesting and one other thing that i wanted to bring up that it's kind of it, I I feel like this has been in my brain before, but it was in in the piece by you, Woj and Ramona. You know why it's in your brain? I mean, maybe maybe you heard it elsewhere. I speculated about this. I want to say like early last season that just f- from just the type of guys that they were that there there might be a little bit of a clash here between Simmons uh, and Embiid. Their sometimes tenuous relationship, as Woj put it. Yeah, and it it makes sense. I mean, from from a couple of different reasons, they're competitive sort i mean in different ways and simmons has kind of a a, he's he's kind of a different sort of guy from what i've heard and also the limitations of of simmons as a shooter i'm sure that could be frustrating to Embiid and and every and yeah yeah, so it, it it makes sense i mean not every combination of talented players works out that's not the you know on the court off the court however we're going to talk about it like there there are ways that it can do and so no, you don't ever want to think about it, you know, especially because good players, great players, you very rarely ever get value back. Maybe even if they're unhappy, you just keep it together because you're not going to do better. You know, that's a possibility. But these are all things that Elton Brand, Brett Brown, ownership need to be thinking about because they're headed into an exceedingly important offseason. And an exceedingly important trade deadline sure. to get the pieces around these guys. But th- 
this report, it's worrisome, right? Because Butler, they gave up some younger assets who were under team control for a while to acquire him. And you know, if they can't get better, if they can't get out of the second round, and if they can't get out of the second round and Jimmy Butler doesn't play that well, he might feel like he's not being actualized and he may want to go somewhere else here. And also just think of the fact that they are going to give him what's almost certainly going to be a bad contract, five-year max deal. If he does stay, that's also a massive concern, potentially. Do you want to do that to someone who's already shown this level of volatility when, in theory, you should be on your best behavior a month and a half after being traded to this new team that you want to give you nearly $200 million that you can't get uh, nearly that much anywhere else? And that was the the desire for that contract was the whole reason you wanted to get traded now. Worrisome. Let's go somewhere else. Let's go to Cleveland. Cleveland, it's a different kind of worrisome there, but an interesting series of moves. So you you mentioned the, the Cameron Payne element of this and how they cleared the roster spot to sign Cameron Payne to a 10-day contract was by waiving Patrick McCaw. And they had recently, you know, a few days ago, signed Patrick McCaw to that contract that was structured where technically each of the each of the two seasons was non-guaranteed, had a guarantee date in January. And I mean, one idea was that the Warriors could theoretically match the contract and then cut him in the first week, but Cleveland ended up doing that. And so there are kind of two theories of this one. The first person I heard articulate this was Darius Soriano, and I think Darius is right, is that maybe this was just Cleveland doing McCaw solid. And they they put up a number that the Warriors were uncomfortable matching to, to make McCaw an unrestricted free agent. The other one is that Cleveland intended to follow through in this contract, but they didn't see enough from McCaw or they just had a better opportunity with campaign. They got a little bit of cold feet that, and they, you know, don't have a ton of roster flexibility on this team. And so they, they let McCaw go either way. So McCaw has far less guaranteed money, less money in his pocket this way, but he is an unrestricted free agent, which apparently he seems to value. Yeah. And McCaw three games, 53 minutes, two of nine from the field. So didn't show a ton. Um, and probably presumably got a little bit of practice in it as well, but to make the decision off of three games when the guy has been basically out of basketball for six months and suffered that bad injury before the playoffs last year as well when he got undercut by Vince Carter, it does seem like this is a little bit more premeditated decision. I mean, maybe he just looks so bad or he just pissed someone off or whatever, but no, it does seem more likely to me that this was somewhat pre-ranged. And there is discussion that, in fact, they want to bring him back if he clears waiver. Albert Namad noting that the Hornets, Nuggets, Pistons, Thunder, Blazers, Kings, Jazz, or Wizards would be eligible to claim McCaw. I don't see any of those teams wanting to do that because basically as soon as they claim him, his salary will become guaranteed, although it'll still be non-guaranteed for next year at the league-wide cutdown date. Um so we'll see. Maybe they'll just bring him back on a minimum. He's made like 300 grand so far. Um, or he can try to go somewhere else where, uh, you know, he's really going to be a playmaker, have the ball in his hands a ton. Uh, and maybe that could happen with the Cavs. Interestingly enough, the Cavs also will be signing Cameron Payne on a 10-day contract, which are, are now available to be signed. At. And Joe Varden, who has been killing it his, on his reporting of this sad sack Cavs team that we barely even had any questions for in the 15 and 60 because no one cares about them these days. Uh, he noted that with Matthew Delvadova out with a sore foot right now and no timetable for return. He's missed a couple games. Larry Drew wanted to bench Colin Sexton, who's been one of the worst players in the NBA so far this year, which happens a lot to rookie point guards who are given the keys. Uh, Larry Drew had no other point guards to play. Remember when Jordan Clarkson was considered a point guard, by the way? Um, So... Maybe McCall will come back there, but it, there is a complaint maybe from the Warriors 
that Cleveland just circumvented and McCaw circumvented the restricted free agency process by signing him to something that was too expensive for the Warriors to match. But I don't really have any sympathy for Golden State in this one. If they'd wanted to pay more money, if he was really that good, they obviously could have catch, kept him. The restricted free agency process declined the guy's market value, so he didn't get an offer sheet until January. Uh, and the contract was not guaranteed. They could have done the exact same thing if they'd wanted to uh and and brought him back if they thought he was that good and and the balance is so heavily skewed in favor of the teams rather than the players and restricted free agency uh, i don't really care if in this one situation they his agent was able to work his relationships to potentially just get macaw into unrestricted free agency and get a solid or, or maybe there's just this pre-ranged idea that he's going to go back to the Cavs for the minimum after this yeah and i mean the warriors had an opportunity to match it, you know the the system it was gamed sort of but McCaw didn't gain much financially it just made him an unrestricted free agent a lot later in the process now let's say this exact same thing happened on July 10th yeah maybe we would feel a little bit differently about it but that's kind of that would be a very different story because the timeline is such such an integral part of it here a couple other pieces of Cavs news per Mark Spears Kevin Love is now progressing with select basketball activities and will continue to advance his therapy and strength and conditioning program still don't have a full timeline for him David Nwaba has missed five straight games with an ankle injury looks like he's going to be out for a while has you know I think he's been an underappreciated part of the success that they have had this year and also they're dealing with an absence of Rodney Hood yeah Hood was dealing with the sore Achilles and you remember even last year I think it was there's a big scare he turned out to be a calf injury but there's a scare that he actually torn his Achilles and it turned out he was fine in Utah then he got traded and he came back from that Achilles for the Utah game and never good when guys rush back to play against their former team and then have to sit out again so it seems pretty clear that that's probably what he did um so that's about it on the Cavs I mean this is not a quick return for Kevin Love from that surgery I mean we've got a month until the trade deadline right now and he doesn't sound like he's any closer than two weeks away and probably three at this point in time so not much time for him to previous healthy if they in fact do want to trade him we can jump to Los Angeles where LeBron is still out. He will he missed their loss in Minnesota today. He will not play against Dallas. And he's also ruled out of Wednesday's game home against Detroit. So maybe he could be back as soon as January eleventh at Utah. Could be a little bit longer than that. I would I would assume he'll be back by the, when they play the Warriors on January twenty first, because that seems like a game that is very important to Mr. James. And the Lakers have really missed him. I mean, this has put a lot of playmaking onus on the the young guys on this team and to a large extent they have not delivered yeah ingram had a couple of decent games they've also been missing kyle kuzma with a, a bruise back he missed their loss at home to the knicks that was terrible and then they got completely housed in minnesota today as we talked about the uh crown jewel of the Thibodeau era that uh, immediately got him fired but Ramona Shelburne reporting that despite the bad losses with LeBron and their scores out with injuries this is not falling on Luke Walton as far as management is concerned but I mean the Lakers are three games over 500 and they don't look like they're good bets to win games maybe at home they are when they can be all right but I mean they were doing pretty well getting towards the top half of the west and then with LeBron out they've really fallen so I do expect them to play well but they're gonna have to push hard now I mean to be they're gonna be right around 500 when LeBron comes back and to expect that he's gonna be like really rested going into the playoffs now 
now, it's pretty unlikely. They're going to have to really extend everybody, I think, just to get in. And here's an important point. So so let's say they're around 500. Warriors are 12 games over right now. Nuggets are 15 games over 500. Thunder are 11. Rockets are, I think they're six and, and pushing pretty well right now. So that means the Lakers, it, it's going to be pretty tough for them unless one of those teams has a big injury. Not only all the other teams that are between them and, and that group, but they're probably going to be the road team in a series. And that brings its own challenges. And those are all capable teams. So I don't know what the what the Lakers goals are for this season, but it is going to be a harder road than when it looks like they might be the three or the four. And while that is still possible, I'm not writing off that as, you know, done. It is going to be a much harder road now than it would have been. Yeah, and this was a chance for those Lakers young guys who some would argue have had their development stunted by LeBron and others might argue just aren't that good to carry the team and try to build on what they did last year. When, of course, they had a bunch of other guys who aren't on the team anymore as well. But they've been unable to do so, and that doesn't really look so good for their efforts to deal potentially for one Anthony Davis. A couple of news items there. Gail Benson, wife of late owner Tom Benson and now the owner of the team, had a a long interview uh, with Larry Holder of The Athletic, theathletic.com slash Capspace, and didn't talk about AD a ton, uh, but uh, her quote was, that I really like what we have in place. I really like Anthony, but if he wants to leave, you can't hold him back. And that's actually, to me, is very encouraging, frankly, because I thought there might be more of a football mentality with, you know, still they have Mickey Loomis as the head basketball executive there. So it does sound like at least if he wants to go and makes it clear that he's not going to return to New Orleans, that they will be reasonable there and try to get a decent return. Now, what they try to get in that return is another matter, but at least I had speculated that maybe, you know, they might just be so weird of an organization that they would just hold on to him through free agency and just not get anything for him. But it doesn't seem at least based on that quote that that will necessarily be it. And then uh, Ryan Russillo. Uh, said on his pod that uh, people are telling him that there's no way AD plays another year in New Orleans. And I, I think pretty much everyone, both looking logically at the situation from the outside and those who know more than uh, us here in the peanut gallery uh, have uh, come to that conclusion. One thing I will note on Benson's comments is that she said, I, I this is preceding the thing, the, the thing you mentioned with Davis is that we're going to invest more money and get the big players and do everything we can to keep Davis here. That is what an owner would say, you know, but I, it, it, that might tie in maybe what they're going to try to do is kind of a last ditch type thing and just see what, you know, try to make the playoffs, see what they can do. And then if he still says he wants to go, go that way. And what's not helping matters is that there's still the walking wounded and other important parts of this very shallow team. Each one more has a left quad contusion. He left the game on Saturday, which they ended up winning and is listed as questionable for their game on Monday against the Grizzlies. But far more importantly, because he's been out so long, Nikola Miritich is still out with this ankle sprain. He has missed 11 games. He is already ruled out of that game against Memphis on Monday. So that's not good because they do not have an, a, a, a real intuitive replacement for him, which has been a problem this whole time. Yeah, they are really when he's out there and clicking as he was at the very beginning of the season, as uh, Ms. Benson noted in her interview, they were really devastating uh, and 
at least offensively. And and while they still have been a solid offense, they're not just quite as unstoppable. The Knicks, who did have that heroic win at the Lakers, we'll see them actually in person on Tuesday night in Oakland. Frank Nilakina struggling with an ankle tendon issue. He was in a walking boot after Friday's game against the Lakers. He's going to miss at least the next two. And Mitchell Robinson has now missed 10 games. Probably going to miss a couple more. Uh, He's had multiple ankle sprains here this season, so they're taking it cautious with him. No reason to rush him back and then uh Ennis Cantor can complain even more about being out of the lineup once uh Robinson starts playing again although clearly it makes more sense to play the young guys at this point in time former Nick center Timofey Mozgov underwent an arthroscopic procedure on his right knee he'll be back at some point I mean he's another guy kind of like Chandler Parsons where he's contract fodder at the moment the magic because he has another year under on his deal they probably don't know exactly what to do with him yet they will figure that out Pau Gasol played five minutes on New Year's Eve coming back from this foot issue and then he has missed the next two games I haven't heard anything specific the Spurs are sometimes very tight-lipped on these sorts of things about whether that was precautionary or, or something else but I mean also Jakob Pertl has played well in his stead and they have all these other kind of bigs with Aldridge obviously and Davis Bertans who can contribute as well and then they can play other guys at, at the four which slides guys to the five so we'll see what Pau Gasol's role is now that they've they were just been molten in the month of December without Gasol other than those five minutes on New Year's Eve. Former Spur Kawhi Leonard as uh, the Raptors got absolutely housed by the Spurs in Kawhi's return. The hope was he would play in their back-to-back over the weekend. They had a really nice win, although a difficult physical victory against the Bucks on Saturday night. Leonard, in fact, did sit out against the Pacers, although the Raps won comfortably nonetheless. And Kyle Lowry did make his return from those lower back issues against the Pacers today. In Utah, Tabo Cephalosha actually looked pretty good against Detroit. I thought he gave him some big minutes guarding Blake Griffin as they got back in the game in the second half. Uh, but then he hurt his hamstring. And then Dante Exum also suffered a non-contact ankle injury trying to chase Langston Galloway around a screen. And uh, he'll at least miss time against the Bucks uh, on Monday. Uh, you want to talk about something Wizards related before we get into their news? Sure. So the Real GM Radio podcast for last week was with Carol Lawson, who is the color analyst for the Washington Wizards broadcast. And she also does work for ESPN Radio. And I talked with her about a lot of different things. It was a really fun podcast about her experience as a player in college in the WNBA, the difference between broadcasting men's and women's basketball, the evolution of both kind of both tracks at the same time right now. And I, I hope you enjoyed it. it. Was It was a lot of fun to do. And I mean, it was we covered a lot of ground in, in a little bit under an hour. And very little of that ground, unfortunately, was on the Washington Wizards for reasons that should be logical. But we do have an important piece of news there where we've already talked about John Wall at length. But Markeith Morris is limited to non-contact basketball activities for the next six weeks after being diagnosed with transcend cervical neuropraxia. And I looked this up. It was it was one of those things. It's like when you when you see an, an injury that you're unfamiliar with, you know, it, it leads to, you know, like you could see sensory symptoms like burning and numbness, loss of sensation. And it's more common in football, which makes sense because the, the just there's more contact and more pressure in these places. But another important player for the Wizards who is unavailable, though they did have a really nice win, 
over the Oklahoma City Thunder in Oklahoma City on Sunday. Yeah, that's got to be uh, a candidate for worst loss in January for OKC. Mo Harkless is still missing games here and there, coming back from that knee surgery that he came back from probably too early last year. And then Devin Booker, another recurrence of at least a related injury, it seems like he left the game in the second quarter against Charlotte, which they ended up losing tonight at home with back spasms. He'd taken a hard fall. Uh, fallen uh, on his tailbone area in his previous game but it's unclear if that's the issue a lot of times you'll see back spasms lower back issues where a guy has had previous hamstring issues and there's just a lot of tightness and a lot kind of messed up uh in that chain and so uh, there was talk that he could return but uh, they ended up holding him out the rest of the way which seems like the right decision and now they had that stretch where they won four straight and now uh, they were coming back home and there was thought maybe they could put together a little bit of a run but i think they've lost every single game on this homestand and so now with this kind of spasm of good play over i think it makes sense to really just like sit him for a while and get him right here uh painful though it might be uh and also here's a friendly note that uh, again we don't talk about fantasy very often but uh play any center that has any kind of pick and roll ability against phoenix as much as we've talked about deandre ayton's defense rashawn holmes might actually be worse at least ayton can get a defensive rebound and hold up a little bit in the post uh but just i mean we saw that ridiculous 14 out of 14 thomas bryant game willie hernan gomez and tony parker just killed them on the second unit today as well so uh, i don't know that much about uh, daily fantasy but if there's sort of like a willie hernan gomez type of backup center who you know you're Jonas valanchunas that type of guy going against the suns especially if he's going to match up his minutes with holmes uh might be a good play for you there an option there might be dwight powell who they the mavericks played the suns on wednesday they have a back-to-back my anticipation is they will be very judicious with devin booker in this in this time period but we can jump quickly to the team that played the Suns on Sunday, the team that beat them narrowly, the Charlotte Hornets. The Hornets are going to be without Cody Zeller for four to six weeks due to his broken hand. And Jeremy Lamb also didn't play. He was questionable and missed it. So he's on the way back, but is not all the way ready yet. Yeah, that's a hamstring issue for Lamb. The Pistons, I watched their game against Utah on Saturday. Zaza Pachulia is out with a leg injury. I'm not sure why the Pistons are now describing their injuries like he's a hockey player i guess that would be a lower body injury if he was a hockey player but as crazy as it is to think of like ron von Pachulia, he gets a lot out of his very limited physical tools defensively and john lure does not uh, john lure playing at backup center he and calderon are together on the second unit and the pistons led 31 to 13 at the end of the first quarter and the jazz just got right back into it just running pick and rolls uh, at that combination uh so lure i think after missing all of last year he's not quite the same guy and so he's really struggling defensively sad as it is to say they need Zaza back that's something that even Feldman and I talked about what seems like years ago now before the season doing the Pistons preview just how ugly their backup big situation was uh, behind Drummond and Blake Griffin Ish Smith who they also are really missing uh, he's going to be reevaluated the middle of this week uh, with that groin issue he last played on December 15th but I think it is supposed to be a little bit longer still for him despite the reevaluation uh, what else we got here Miles Turner what didn't play the end of the game against Chicago which was a pretty damn fun game with and with missed the game against the Raptors with what's called a what's being called a stinger he did warm up so I'm guessing that he he will be back in the near future 
Sean Livingston left the Warriors' rollicking win in Sacramento, which actually set the NBA record for most made threes combined in a game. He Livingston, you know, his absence actually probably helped push that number up a little bit. He left with a sore knee and has been a strange fit. The Warriors have been staggering Curry and Durant. He's been playing with Curry, and it, it, it isn't working too well. That'll be a point that we can discuss at a later point, at a later juncture. And I'm, I'm writing about it obviously for the Athletic. And Eric Gordon won't play against Denver. He's dealing with a knee contusion. That will be his fourth straight game out. So not only are they missing Chris Paul, but they're missing Eric Gordon. But if James Harden hits every shot in the history of mankind, they'll be okay. Yeah, and Gordon, anything with his knees, you remember all the struggles he had in New Orleans that derailed for a long time what appeared to be a, a promising career. So you got to watch anything uh, with the, the knee contusion. Uh, doesn't really affect the Clippers' lo- rotation, but Milos Teodosic is dealing with the knee tendonitis at the moment, so he's been out. And then Kyrie Irving is supposed to return on Monday. He had missed two games uh, after suffering uh, a scratched eye uh, from Marco Bellinelli in their ugly loss to the Spurs. Marcus Morris, uh, I don't know if he's suffering sympathy pains or an independent injury, but he is also dealing with the neck issue uh, like his brother, but he should be back on Monday. And Robert Williams, who's missed time with a groin injury, he could be available on Monday, but they've got Tice and Horford ahead of him. I do like the element that he provides, so putting a little more pressure on the rim uh, with this group. Um, finally, Bull Bull, who's been talked about as a top 10 pick, he suffered a navicular injury, so he's going to miss the year. He's hopeful to return in the summer. Obviously, the navicular injury, Michael Jordan suffered it, Joel Embiid, Zydrunas Ilgauskas. It's been an injury that a lot of bigger guys have struggled with, so it's not great. He does have a little bit lighter of a frame, so you hope uh, that he can make it back. And he had done some nice things this year. I Obviously, we don't watch the draft prospects that closely at this point in time, but it was an intriguing prospect, so a shame to see that he's probably going to be out, but he'll likely be in the drafts anyway this summer. Yeah, it'll be a little bit less film for us to watch, but he did get to play basically their Oregon's non-conference slate. All right, that'll do it. That was uh, one of our longer news episodes in history, but enjoyed that. And we'll be back with a gamer tomorrow. Got some really good games, Denver and Houston. I really want to see how Denver is going to match up with this version uh, of James Harden. I imagine they're going to bring the big up, try to take the ball out of his hands a little bit. That'll that'll be interesting. Uh, The NBA cast returns on Wednesday. Who are we watching on Wednesday? Bucks at Rockets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, that's going to be awesome. Um, And, uh, of course, we got that 15 and 60 Eastern Conference mailbag coming up, hopefully, on Tuesday. We'll talk to you all tomorrow night. Till then.